righty then. Welcome back for hour number two of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. We appreciate you hanging around. Or if you're coming in for the first time, come on in and uh, why don't you go ahead and send out a message to your Facebook friends. Tell them to join us. This is Tony Beam, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brazier Campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and society. Also serves Director of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention. All right. um, As you know, this week we've been talking about uh, pro-life issues. We've talked about the South Carolina legislature, the battle for the Supreme Court in South Carolina. Um, I talked to you about some of the things that I learned at the National Stand for Life Leadership Conference in Washington last week and, of course, uh, the March for Life. Um, But one of the things that happened in response to a lot of conservatives standing up for life was the Biden administration's reaction, and it was poor, to say the least. Um, And I want you just just to be reminded, uh, I'm going to play this clip again of Vice President Kamala Harris not knowing how to quote the Declaration of Independence and leaving out some key parts because it doesn't fit her narrative. America is a promise. It is a promise of freedom and liberty. Not for some, but for all. A promise we made in the Declaration of Independence. That we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So there you go. All of a sudden, uh, she can't remember that life is in there, and she also can't remember to mention our Creator, who is the one who endows us with those rights. So we welcome Chelsea Yeoman to the program today. She's a pro-life advocate and the leader of the Human Coalition Action Group. And so, Chelsea, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. All right. Respond to that a little bit. I mean, I was shocked when I heard that. I I know left-wing progressive politicians, they'll bend and shape anything, even documents like the Declaration of Independence, to fit their narrative. But it's a bit shocking to hear that coming from the Vice President of the United States. And then, of course, President Biden weighed in, uh, also um, just ripping anybody who would protect life in the womb. Uh, How is, is uh, as Christians, as believers, as people who value life, how should we respond to that? Yes, well, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head there, but I unfortunately wish I was more shocked, as my Nana always used to say, when people tell you who they are, believe them. And I think it's really incumbent upon all of us to be paying attention right now. Yes. Um, what happened when Roe was overturned last summer is that the sacred cap of the left, abortion, something that they put at the highest above all other things that they advocate for, um, you know, became threatened. And we've seen an ugly progression since then. We've seen absolute commitment to death out of the Biden administration. Everything from trying to make every CVS and Walgreens an abortion center distributing pills to this, um, even rewriting, you know, our, our documents, our founding documents to fit um, what is their ideology when it comes to abortion. But we know as Christians and believers that we need to stand firm and we need to stand strong and courageous against evil, which is what abortion is. Abortion ends the life of an innocent human being every single time. Every single time. And that's all 
we need to stand firm in and understanding that we have morality on our side, we have science on our side, we have medicine on our side when it comes to life in the womb, um, and to continue to speak that truth in love and say now is the moment more than ever that we see how committed they are to abortion and how much more strong we need to be in protecting life in the womb. You know, Chelsea, I think we have made a lot of strides in our country in the last 20 years, actually. Uh, getting uh, the American people to believe that life is precious and that what we're dealing with in the womb is a life, a living human being. I think uh, ultrasounds have uh, been the the way that they bring such clarity. Um, it's it's really been a, an effective tool to communicate the value and the presence of life in the womb. But we just suffered a series of setbacks since the overturning of Roe versus Wade. We had five amendments uh, during the midterms in various states that all went the direction of the pro-abortion community. The life community lost when life was on the ballot when it was a direct question. Now, a lot of pro-life leaders and politicians won their elections running on a pro-life platform. So how do you explain that disparity? Well, I think that when you when it comes to constitutional amendments on the ballot, we all know language gets confusing. I mean, how many of us have stood at the ballot box and not been certain about what an amendment or proposition was in front of us? And right. so I think between hundreds of millions of dollars, historic amounts of campaign and media on this issue from the other side, the pro-abortionists, to confusing language, I think there was a full court press there, and I don't know that it's necessarily really indicative of how people feel about life in the womb. But regardless, I think it's clear we have work to do. Um, As Christians and believers, we believe every single person is created in the image of God, Yes, has a purpose, has a plan for their lives, has gifts and skills and intellects unique that we are created. Um, It's just such a beautiful thing to be pro-life, because what we're really saying is that you matter. Every single human, even those that are born, we're talking about, are included in that. And so I think having those discussions, discipling um, our family and our friends on this issue, the church engaging on this issue, you know, that's where cultural generational change happens. And then don't forget that this is not an issue outside of the church. Four out of every ten abortions are performed on women who are actively attending church. That's 40% of abortions. Um, So we... I think really need to take a look inwardly and say, you know, how are we as churches teaching on this issue and not allowing generational sin um, to become acceptable, but to say, wow, we could do better than that. We could do better by women and children. You know, that's one of the things we talked about at the Stand for Life conference is getting churches more engaged. And one of the ways to do that um, is a curriculum has now been published. Uh, I think it's available at LifeWay, but it's um, it was done by Stand for Life and the ERLC, and it's it's six weeks of study that a church can take their members through on the image of God, and I think that's really where this begins. People need to understand that life is precious because we are created in the image of our Creator. And we've got to get more people to understand that. And I think the other thing, Chelsea, and I, I, I believe you'll agree with this, you know, like you said, women, we need to convince women that the church is not their enemy on this, that, that when they, if they find themselves in a crisis pregnancy situation, that they would describe it as such. I don't think a pregnancy is ever a crisis. 
I think it's a blessing from God. But but we want women to be able to look at the church and see it as a refuge, not as something that condemns them. I, I, I'd like for women to think first to go to my pastor, to go to my church, because I'm going to find support and help so that I can have this baby and give it an opportunity. And if I decide to raise it, the church is going to be with me. And if I decide it's best in the interest of the child for it to be raised through adoption, um, then there's going to be people that stand with me. I think that's an important part. Absolutely. You know, at Human Coalition, we serve women seeking abortion every single day. We serve um, tens of thousands of women every year, 26,000 in Texas alone last year. Um, And 76% of them say, if my circumstances were different, I would prefer to parent. Yes. And that's where we are able to enter into that picture with them and understand that this is not for these women really about women's empowerment. It's not about health care. It's not about any of the lies that we're told. It's truly about um, difficult circumstances at this moment in time, Um, being stressed out and fearful and switching that over to hope for them and saying, there are answers out here and solutions that are permanent. We're going to help you find a path to independence, find housing when your partner kicks you out because you won't get an abortion, which happened to a client of ours a few weeks ago. Um, These are real women with real struggles and to have compassion and love. It's truly a gospel moment yes. um, and it's, it's a humbling moment. You know, and, and also um, I think it's important for the church to remember that we live in a constitutional republic, which means that the laws that get made are going to be made by the people that we vote and put in office and hold accountable to their campaign promises. You know, South Carolina, here we are with the reddest of red states in terms of control of the government uh, by Republicans, and yet we have the most liberal abortion law in the Southeast right now because our heartbeat bill was overturned by the Supreme Court in South Carolina. Uh, It was a terrible decision, but it's a result of putting justices on the court that are activists and not people who look at the text of the law. So hopefully we're we're addressing that. But, uh, you know, at the same time, you can get an abortion in South Carolina now up to 22 weeks. So we, we need the church to respectfully speak the truth and love to these legislators and demand that we protect life in South Carolina. And I think that's true everywhere. Yes, it's true everywhere to say that we need to engage. I think maybe a lot of people on our side, we, we did our victory lap after row, but it's time to wake up a little bit and see um, don't forget the fact that the chemical abortion pill right. is accounts for 60% of abortions across America right now. Not even doctors are handing those out. I mean, we had a client come to us with pills from eBay. From eBay. Um, they're yeah. everywhere. And to know that we, we as Christians need to be involved and politically engaged and also know your state representative and senator. Yes. Call their offices. They want to know if they take hard votes on this for them politically, that if they protect life, if they do the right thing, we're going to be there standing with them. It's the number one thing they mentioned to me as I walk the halls of the Capitol um, everywhere in Texas, we're in North Carolina, that they ask is, is, what will my voters think? What will my voters do? And so you being a vocal participant with them and their office calls, emails, that goes a long way, maybe more than you, you would think. Human Coalition Action, tell us a little bit about that organization, maybe just a little bit about the history, uh, your role uh, there, and what, where exactly do you engage in this process? 
Yes, well, at a, we started with an orga, our sister organization, Human Coalition, which I mentioned earlier, that serves pregnant women in need with resources um, and, and works to rescue their children. Right. And they realized after about 10 years of operating that there's no real advocate for women seeking abortion um, and their children who's actively serving them, who understands them, what their needs are, um, what maybe the abortion trends are, actually. And so they created this idea to start doing policy work based on that immense amount of knowledge we have on why women are getting abortions. Um, and it kind of ballooned from there, as God's will often does. Um, and so we started with this idea to expand programs for women in every single state, um, because Private funding is never going to get us there. We have a lot of states. We want to move faster than that. We have a sense of urgency around life and protecting children and serving their moms. And we started on that path. Um, but in the process, you know, I was approached to work on the Texas Heartbeat Act here in the state of Texas. And that obviously went um, a long way. And so we've gotten involved in some very innovative legal uh, policies to actually downright protect life. I was so proud to advocate for children in the womb in Texas. We brought stenographers from our clinics in a beautiful partnership who were able to play heartbeats on the floor of the Senate and the House um, before the members and said, look, the difference between the heartbeat of a six-week-old in the womb and a 22-week-old in the womb who's protected, they sound the same and they were indistinguishable. And it was a powerful moment. And so we do have a state-by-state legislative kit um, we've made over the last year anticipating Roe would be gone. Every single state, we make two recommendations. One, how they can best protect life for their current political and legal makeup, and two, um, how they can best serve women in that state and what programs they should adopt. And we have language for all of it. It's been a work in progress, a love, a lot of love went into it, a lot of legal expertise from outside attorneys and partners and friends went into it, and we're rolling that out. Um, look for South Carolina and North Carolina. We've got eyes on all those states and, and recommendations. Chelsea, I really appreciate your passion um, and your knowledge about this issue. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the program this morning. If, if you would, if you could hold on for just a second, I want to talk to you briefly off the air, and we're going to take a quick break, and we want to thank Chelsea Yeoman from Human Coalition Action for being with us today. Chelsea, thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, just a quick update. Uh, we just uh, got word in that there was an earthquake this morning in Georgia, at 7.13 a.m., so just a little over an hour ago. Um, it had a depth of 3 kilometers and was reported at 2.2 magnitude, uh, about 72 miles from Atlanta in the, let's see what the area is, Eatonton, Georgia, is where the epicenter appears to have been. So we're, we're getting a lot of earthquake activity just in the southeast. I mean, South Carolina's had a record number um, in 2022, um, haven't heard. I've heard a couple of reports in 2023, and uh, now we've got this quake down in Georgia. So, thankfully, they are of the magnitude that generally doesn't result in the loss of property or the loss of life. 2.2. Um, we're getting to the point that can move some stuff around in your house. I mean, dishes, uh, things like that. Uh, but usually, it takes a point a five pointer. Uh, four or five pointer to really get your attention, but you'll you'll know if it's a two point two for sure. All right, I want to spend a few minutes talking about these fired Memphis police officers. There are five of them, and I don't know if you've been following this case, but they've been charged with second degree murder of Tyree Nichols. 
Um, and this resulted from a traffic stop that went very bad. And these five officers are charged with second-degree murder and kidnapping. Tyree Nichols was beaten, ended up in the hospital, and passed away. And now murder charges are being brought. We don't know exactly what happened because the police video, uh, the body cam video, hasn't been released yet. That's going to happen today at 6 o'clock. And there are a lot of states that are concerned about what's going to happen when that video becomes public because people who have seen it say, quite frankly, that it's horrendous. And, you know, I'll reserve judgment about that because I'm not going to agree with something that I haven't seen. Uh, but it'll be, it'll be coming out later today, uh, they say around 6 p.m. Um, but, but here's the, the – this is – these five officers – are former police officers because they've they've already been fired because of a review that the Memphis Police Department did and determined that their actions fell well below what's expected when it comes to being a police officer in the city of Memphis. So all five of them are African American and Tyree Nichols was a young is a young black man. So everybody involved here is of the same race. And yet, already, they're trying to turn this into a racial issue, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean, how can people of the same race be accused of committing a race crime against a person of their race? And, and when you think about this, black gangs in Chicago, in Philadelphia, in Baltimore— in large cities all across the country, are committing crimes against black men and black women, and there are no charges of racism being raised when members of a black gang kill someone of their own race. In fact, there's not even there are not even racism questions or racist uh, statements being made when a group of young black men or gang members kill a white person or a person who is Hispanic or Asian. I mean, they they look at that as gang violence. They don't look at it as a racial issue. And yet here, race is being called into question. And the reason, I mean, the, the sole reason is because of the narrative that progressives make that police are racist. All police, there's systemic racism in police departments all across the country that has to be stamped out. And even though everybody here involved in this is of the same race, because they are former police officers and because they were police officers at the time that this this took place, this must be a racially motivated case. Now, that's the the argument that makes no sense. Um, And on top of, look, if, if these five officers have done the horrendous thing that apparently they have done. I mean, I, we don't know. There is, all of this is alleged at the moment, but the grand jury returned a report that said that there was sufficient evidence to charge them with second-degree murder and kidnapping. So, you know, there, there's, there's some there there, and we'll know more after 6 o'clock today. But one thing we already know is that this really can't be a racially motivated crime unless you're going to make the point 
that it's all because these five officers are police officers or were police officers at the time. It can't be predicated on race. The Department of Justice, the, the Biden Justice Department, is opening a civil rights investigation into this case, already announced, which, based on what? There's a great piece today at the Na- at National Review by Andrew McCarthy, um, and he, he just asked the question, what is the basis for believing that the police beat Nichols to, de- to his death because he was a black man? If you're having a hard time understanding how five young black men might have killed another black man out of racial animus against a young black man, then welcome to the club. Um, and, you know, the knee-jerk presumption, McCarthy writes, of a civil rights violation is explainable solely because these five alleged killers are police, or at least they were police at the time of the killing. The profession of policing, of serving and protecting the communities in which the cops themselves live, is now stigmatized as racist. The stigma is also so indelible, rather, that it makes no difference that the cops in question are all, every one of them, of the same race as the victim. Memphis um, has a majority black police department. Its chief, uh, Sarah J. Davis, is a black woman and a mother who's been the president of the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. She full-throatedly condemned as a failing of basic humanity the brutal treatment which Nichols was allegedly subjected to by these five black officers after he had been provoked uh, by a confrontation after being stopped for a suspected traffic violation. Chief Davis decried the conduct of the fired officers as a departure from her department's practices. The Memphis Memphis PD investigated the homicide and is actually cooperating. They're working with the state's prosecutors. So everybody's in agreement here so far. So where lies the racial element? It lies in the progressive narrative that is so strong, or as McCarthy says, so indelible that they ignore the fact that race cannot be a factor here because everybody is of the same race. And they're still going to go after these five officers from the federal, from the Justice Department and consider this a violation of civil rights um, based on race. Now, maybe you can consider it a violation of civil rights because of the beating and death of Nichols. Obviously, his civil rights where his rights were violated, but it can't be based on race. It's got to be based on something else, unless you just have an agenda that you have to paint police departments and police officers as racist, even if you're looking at a police department that looks very much like the Memphis community as far as the number of African-American officers that serve and their chief of police. It um, This is... This is narrative over justice. This is the justice system being manipulated by a narrative. It's being pushed by progressives. The the Justice Department was harangued by progressive activists who demanded that they turn this into a racial issue, even though it has nothing to do with race. We cannot have justice in America 
we cannot have justice for all. We cannot have equal justice if the Justice Department is going to be driven by those who have a progressive narrative that has to be applied as a template to every situation, whether it makes sense or not. That is the furthest thing from true justice. Everybody remember Terminator 2, Judgment Day? You know, we, we all remember Terminator, right? I'll be back. Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was a really good movie. But Terminator 2, I'm going to make the argument that Terminator 2 is the best Terminator movie out of that series by far. I thought it was way better than the original Terminator movie, which the Terminator movie was good. But this Terminator 2 featured some of the best special effects that were available. In fact, they pressed the envelope for special effects in 1991. Terminator 2 became the most expensive movie ever made in 1991. I mean, up to that time, it, they, it cost $105 million dollars to to um, to make that movie now that's chump change now I mean I, movie cost 105 million dollars no big deal uh, that's probably middle of the pack but for 1991 that was crazy people thought you'll never get your money back turned out to be the third highest grossing movie worldwide at the time of all time I mean there have been movies that have obviously now because of ticket prices i mean you compare ticket prices to 1991 i wonder what this would be if it was adjusted for current movie prices but it made 520 million almost 521 million so it 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 five times returned the cost of making it which is pretty incredible but one of the fascinating things is if you remember the new terminator who you know arnold as the original terminator goes back to protect um or no he's going to kill sarah connor no 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 not no that was in the original terminator that's what you just said the no original. no 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 in well oh, in terminator 2 in terminator 2 yes arnold schwarzenegger's character protects sarah connor from this advanced terminator that can actually is is made of liquid metal so it can take all these different shapes and it can, you know, move through objects because it can liquefy itself and then make itself into something else or become a solid again. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? That's 1991 science fiction. And now we have 2023 reality. Because, according to Daily Wire, in a recent breakthrough, scientists have created a robot that can transition back and forth between solid and liquid states, allowing it to navigate through numerous obstacles and environments. Now, so it can't take on, you know, it's not like the Terminator um, in Terminator 2 where it could actually take on the appearance of something that it saw or touched or it could become a weapon or something like that. But it... It is. I, I watched this video, and I was just fascinated because you've got this robot that's in a cage, and it kind of looks like a Lego robot. You know, it's very simple, but it's, it's moving back and forth, looking at the bars of the cage, and then it stops, liquefies itself, goes in between the bars, 
and then reconstitutes itself outside the bars. That is not possible. It is possible. I'm, I, I watched it happen. Um, so how did they do this? Well, they actually embedded some particles inside a particular metal. The metal is gallium, which gallium, the reason that's important, gallium, the, the melting point for gallium is 87 degrees. So, you know, they were able to embed um, diff- like micro, different v- miniature, um, I don't know what to call them, some type of, you know, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, not a condenser. But anyway, they put stuff in the metal that they could then remotely heat. And so they could raise the temperature of the metal to the point that it melted, and then they could lower the temperature. And when they lowered the temperature and changed the nature of the metal, it reconstituted into its original form, which is pretty incredible. Another thing that they did with it is they showed a model of a foreign object in a human stomach. And they injected this this metal. They put this this metal into the the stomach, and it came up to the object. It liquefied, enveloped it, and then they were able to move it out of the stomach. So they were actually able to remove a foreign object in a medical procedure by using this particular technique. And I watched the video of that, too. That I mean, it's just... It's pretty, uh, it's pretty crazy. Quote, more functionality means the technology could open up many new possibilities, especially in the mechanical and electrical fields. The robot could enter into spaces and apply fixes in small, tight, or perhaps even dangerous places. It can even be used as a conductor in circuits. It could also be used to protect Sarah Connor from some type of threat that might come her way. Can you can you imagine? I mean, I want one of these, okay? I mean, I just watched it do it one time, and I just want one that I can use around the house, you know, slipping under the door, um, you know, or uh, working on the pool for me, being able to get into places that I'd have to lay down to reach. That's pretty cool. Work on a uh, car, get to that air conditioning th- yeah, part. just put that, them in the air conditioning duct. Uh, right just now. Put them you, in there. You have to take the whole engine block out to get to it. Now this thing just sneaks in just there and fixes slides it. right in there and then can solidify and fix the problem and slide right back out. Slip sliding away. We need we, maybe that's what we need here in a minute. But anyway, um, that, that, that's what we're that, that's pretty cool. You didn't even know that I was going to talk no, about this. No, I did. So um, if you want to take a look at it, go to Daily Wire to the website and the stories by Trevor Mock, and it just the the title is just watch as robot liquefies then reforms in a scientific breath, breakthrough. It's pretty incredible. I'm going to talk to uh, Bill here in just a second. Let me before I do, let me read this statement by the Memphis police chief. You know, we were talking about the five Memphis police officers that uh, have been charged with kidnapping, actually, and second degree murder. Uh, we're still waiting for the video. It's supposed to come out today at six o'clock. Um, this is has to do with the death of uh, Tyree Nichols, who was beaten, uh, survived. The beating went to the hospital, but passed away. So they've been charged. They've been fired, and charged with second-degree murder. Now, police chief 
as we were talking earlier, Cerelan Davis released a statement and or talked to the press, and this is what she said. I expect you to feel outraged in the disregard of basic human rights as our police officers have taken an oath to, to do the opposite of what trans- transpired on the video. I expect our citizens to exercise their First Amendment right to protest, to demand action and results. But we need to ensure our community is safe in this process. None of this is a calling card for inciting violence or destruction in our community or against our citizens. Okay, Bill, go ahead. Good morning to you, Dr. Beam. And we thank the most high that you were able to go to Washington and get back safely last week and all your travels. So always, you're always in our prayers as much as you travel. Um, there are some ties to a company here in Greenville uh, with the leadership there in Memphis. And when you had the George Floyd situation that happened Memphis was one of the few cities that were able to get cooperation from the union, the police union, that they changed some of their policies, that they did not have to wait until all the investigations process went through in order for them to fire. So it is, it's a tough task for the police departments this was a part of a special union, I mean, a special unit. And it, again, it wasn't race as much as it was the, there had been some complaints about this unit, but the people that they deal with, and it's unfortunate that this was a tragedy, just like the one is down in Louisiana that's being investigated now after two years where the policemen misled the public and killed the young man. And, and they were black and white. So it's not a racial thing for the officers. If these special units have to deal with the people that's involved in the highest number of crimes and drugs, and there's no excuse for them, but Lord, that, It's just a tragedy that a lot of our officers and our citizens go through because of the high crime volume by a specific ethnicities in these large cities. And unfortunately, this man has a good record. I talked to a pastor whose wife, as you see on TV, is and he was a good man. But as his mother said, he wasn't perfect. But no one deserves this. But we also need to recognize that these special units have a lot of fear. But this one was a tragedy, and I just thank you for bringing it to the point. But it's the people that they have to deal with, specifically is a majority of one ethnicity. And let's hope that, that things are getting better. you got to have these task force, but... It's, it's tough. So I, yeah. I thank you for bringing it to our attention. We okay, Bill. That. Thanks. Well, here's the thing that bothers me about it. Um, you know, it, it, and thanks for calling. Um, what bothers me about it is the Justice Department opening a civil rights investigation uh, based on race. I mean, there's no, 
there's no case unless you're just looking for a case and you want to call it this. I, I mean, to me, that's an embarrassment and, and such an obvious play by the Justice Department to cater to a particular mindset about police departments. Uh, you know, why do we need we, – we don't need a federal civil rights investigation when the, the state of Tennessee is – and the Memphis City Police Department are working in tandem to bring these five uh, former officers to justice if that's what's demanded here. I mean, they have the right, the presumption of innocence until proven guilty – so we need to, we're going to extend them that right right now it, they have it is alleged that they have committed these crimes but it seems to me that Tennessee and the city of Memphis can handle this and the justice department needs to stay out of it it doesn't need to try to turn it into something that it definitely is not all right jim's on the phone wants to talk about uh, terminator 2 and um and and video games yes sir i'm wondering if possibility of these movies you were describing for somebody who's not as grounded as you are in Jesus and the kids who are playing these computer games by the hours. I've got some grandkids like that. It just blows my mind how many hours they spend that. They're so interesting that church is boring. That Okay, so what is your concern about? You're concerned about the video games, but how does that relate to Terminator 2? They're spending hours and hours on something that's very interesting to them. Uh-huh. And Terminator 2 is interesting, as you adequately described the scenes that were going in. Of course, it'd be interesting. And I'm not trying to put down Terminator 2. That's not my point. My point is some of these movies, with the amount of money they're putting into it and the effort and the great actors that they have, it's a little hard for some churches to 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 deal with that and not be bored with the church service. I'm not putting oh, down the church you. service. I'm I, just comparing I, the two. I got Does that you. make sense? Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, yes. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. In other words, Jim's concerned that because there's so many, uh, there's so much going on that is not real but looks real and is very entertaining that it can leave people confused and it makes people um, sometimes not be able to tell the difference between what's real and not real. Well, and also I think he's saying that the kids are so enamored with playing these games that church seems boring i want to get yeah. back to my video game why do you have me over here in this church i don't understand this I, yeah. I want the video game yeah okay gene thanks for calling yes i'm calling as an addendum to bill's comment i was very very uh pleased to hear bill uh, make the comment that these, these are specialized police units that deal with uh, high crime activity you know rudy giuliani had a uh, um had a policing policy uh, a proactive one which actually dealt with these situations, and it kept street crime down. And, of course, he was called, what was he called, a racist, a bigot, a homophobe, on and on it goes. And then when Giuliani left office, the, uh, the city of New York uh, uh, politicians, Democrat po- uh, politicians, ceased from that uh, activity. They, they terminated those specialized police units. And where are we today in New York? In fact, where are we across the country? I mean, folks, did, uh, Crime, uh, crime, and and uh, violence uh, knows no racial bounds. And and if the police are doing their job, especially in these units, these are these are tough units. This is like being on a combat front. They're not easy uh, jobs to do. And unfortunately, uh, thanks to the Democrat Party, we have besmirched our police uh, uh, departments, and it's very unfortunate. 
Yeah, thanks, Gene. I appreciate the call. Look, I, I my my concern here, the police have a hard job. They need our support. But when they behave in ways, obviously, that are not in keeping with the standards that we expect from police officers, anybody with authority. I mean, you know, when you strap on a gun and you have a badge, uh, you have a lot of authority. You've got the authority to detain, to arrest, uh, to bring charges. Um, actually, that comes from more from the prosecutor but to to suggest charges that then could be brought against you that and and all of that is a huge responsibility and so police officers and for the vast majority of police officers they carry out those responsibilities in an incredible way they protect us they serve the community and when you have an aberration like this uh, it needs to be handled in a way that makes sense. Um, it doesn't need to be turned into a racial issue when it's not. It doesn't need to be used as an opportunity to vilify all police officers, which there are those who are going to do that because they want anarchy. They don't want police protection. They, they want to defund the police. They want to replace the pro- police with aid workers and counselors and social workers. And that's that's just not going to work in a violent society. We live in a sinful, fallen world, and people do bad things. We have to have the good guys out there to protect us from the bad guys that want to do bad things, and that's not going to happen with, you know, please lay down over here and tell me your problems when the perpetrator has a gun and is committing in the middle of committing a crime. So all this is going to get sorted out. You're going to have... Uh, the video release, we're going to know more about it. We'll talk about it more on Monday, in fact, I'm sure, as the information comes from over the weekend. And we need to pray as believers that there won't be violence this weekend. We need to pray for the protection of police officers um, as they go about their jobs this weekend uh, because, you know, with all this language uh, being pushed toward them, there are going to be those who want to take out their anger on police officers as well as looting and burning and we just need to pray that those things don't happen that uh, the lord grants us peace and protection all right that's about all the time we've got for this edition of christian worldview with dr tony beam please don't forget that we're live on facebook so if you'd like to follow us that way all you have to do is go to the facebook page it's christian worldview with dr tony beam and you can get in on conversations over there we have a podcast this program gets turned into into a podcast magically by our producer gary miller and gets posted uh it'll be up by noon today so give a listen it's free just look for dr tony christian worldview with dr tony beam wherever you get your podcast and you can give us a listen have a great weekend